First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to Job chapter 1? Job chapter 1, this is week number 2 in our five-week survey of the book of Job that we're calling Shattered. And if you were with us last time, or if you've just read through the book of Job before, then you know that Job did have his whole life shattered, uh, really in a way that is probably unlike anyone who has ever lived. At the beginning of this book of Job, we're introduced to Job. We're told that he was a very godly man, that he was a very blessed man, that he had a huge family. He had ten children, seven sons, three daughters. He was a very wealthy man who owned sheep and camels and oxen and donkeys. In fact, we're told that he was the greatest man in all of the eastern part of the world. But after introducing us to this character of Job, the storyteller transports us to the very throne room of heaven and allows us to eavesdrop on this conversation that is taking place between Satan and the Lord. And the Lord is essentially bragging on Job, speaking about his uprightness, his godliness, how he loves the Lord and fears the Lord. And and Satan responds to that and says, well, God, the only reason why he does that is because you've blessed him so much. But if you would just let me at him, if you would just let me strip away all of the things that you have given him, well, then you'll see that he really doesn't love you at all. And you'll see that Job will up and curse you to your face. And the Lord allows Satan, gives Satan permission to do whatever he wants to Job as long as he does not touch his body. And so after that is when Job experiences what I believe is the worst day that any human being has ever experienced on the earth. And I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that because in one single 24-hour period, four different messengers come running up to Job with horrendous news. The first one comes up to him and says, Job, some raiders have come and they've taken away all of your donkeys and all of your oxen and killed your servants who were with them. And immediately another messenger comes up and says, Job, a fire came from heaven. It burned up all 7,000 of your sheep. And before he's even done talking, a third guy comes and says, Job, some more raiders came and they have taken away all of your camels. And then the worst of all, the fourth messenger comes running up to Job and and says, Job, all ten of your children were in the house of their oldest brother. And a tornado came and it struck the house and the house fell in on itself. And Job, all ten of your children are now dead. So in one day, Job loses everything that he owns. He goes from being the wealthiest man in the East to penniless. And apart from his wife, he also loses on the same day his entire family. And believe it or not, that wasn't even the end of all of Job's suffering. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But, you know, last time, in the first message in this series... We talked more about the philosophical side of this. We talked about a question that I think every thinking person wrestles with at some point in their life. And the question is, why do bad things happen to good people? And and it's important that we talk about that because 
really this story of Job teaches us that in a way almost no other story in the Bible does. Other than Jesus, Job is probably the most extreme example ever of bad things happening to a good person. But today, rather than looking at the philosophical side of that, I want us to to take today and to look at these opening chapters again and, and to think about the personal side of that. Because the reality is everyone in this room at some point in our lives will suffer. And I know that for some of you, that topic of suffering is, is not something that is in the distant past, and it's not something that's hypothetically may or may not going to happen to you in the future. For some of you, right now, you're going through a time of suffering, maybe the most intense time of suffering that you've ever had in your life. And maybe it's at the point where you really don't even know how you are going to move forward. And if that is you, I'm so thankful that you are here. And I've been praying especially for you today that the Lord would speak to you right where you are as only he can. And so today what I want us to think about is how should we respond to our suffering? Because again, we all will suffer at some point, but not all of us will respond to our suffering in the same God-honoring way. And so as we go along today, I want us to notice in this story three types of responses to suffering. And with apologies to Clint Eastwood, the three responses that I see to suffering in this story are the good and the bad and the ugly. And so first, let's look at the good. And so after everything that had happened to Job, after experiencing the loss of everything that he owned and the loss of all ten of his children on the same day, look at how Job first responded to all of this news in verse 20. It says, Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. When you think about all that Job had been through, the fact that he could respond with these words that we have just read, I believe make these verses some of the most inspiring verses in all of God's word. Notice how verse 20 starts, though. It says that Job arose and he tore his robe and he shaved his head. Those were customs in that culture, symbols or signs of the fact that Job was mourning, that Job was in grief and agony. And just as a side note here, it is okay, by the way, for Christians to mourn. I know that in some circles in the church, there's this weird idea that has crept in that if a person is really, really godly, then they won't ever cry, they won't ever be upset, even at the funeral of a close loved one, because they believe so much in the promises of God that they just need to be happy all the time. And yet that's not what we find in the pages of the Bible. And in fact, if it made a person ungodly to mourn at a funeral, then that would mean that the Lord Jesus Christ was not godly. Because the Lord Jesus himself mourned at the graveside of a friend of his named Lazarus, even though he knew that in like five minutes he was going to raise Lazarus back from the dead. 
And yet he mourned and he grieved. And it's right that we should do so when we lose someone that we love. The Bible does not say that Christians don't mourn. It says we don't sorrow like those who have no hope. So the grief Job shows here is perfectly natural and normal. But what he does next is not natural. What he does next is, is supernatural. As verse 20 says, After he tore his robe and shaved his head, he fell to the ground and worshipped. And this is so moving to me and so powerful to me that, that in the midst of his brokenness, in the midst of his anguish, after he had just lost everything that he had and everyone that was most precious to him in his life, that Job's first response, his first response, was to fall to the ground and go to God and worship him. And I have to admit, and I, and I think maybe some of you would have to admit this as well, that sometimes even when things are going well in my life, my first instinct is not to worship. And how much harder is it to go to God and worship when tragedy and suffering has entered into your life? But here is Job, who has just experienced probably the worst day in the history of the world, and the first place we find him is face down before the Lord, worshiping God, even with tears streaming down his face. And friend, is that where you would have been? Ask yourself that. Is that where I would have been if I were Job? Is that where you are right now, even with the suffering that you may be enduring? Are you worshiping the Lord, even if it is worship with tears in your eyes? Verse 21 tells us what Job said. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Job is acknowledging the same thing that Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, that we brought nothing into this world and we also will carry nothing out of it. But Job is saying more than that. Because Job's theology teaches him that everything he had in his life was a gift from the Lord and he is acknowledging the reality that it is the Lord's prerogative how long he allows those gifts to remain in his hands. And the same is true for us. We are not promised a certain period of time that the Lord will allow his gifts to remain in our hands. They are his to give and they are his to take away because he is the sovereign king of all the earth. And that's true for everything in our life. It's true for our jobs and it's true for our houses and it's true for our things and it's true for our finances. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. The same is also true when it comes to our spouses. And sometimes we lose our spouses far sooner than we thought we would. And we get married and we think that we'll have this partner who will be with us, the entire race that God gives us in this world. And then some people, even strong Christian people, wake up one day and find that the person that they most counted on to be there with them throughout life is gone. And they have many more miles to run without that person at their side. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And it's also true, of course, and perhaps most difficult to accept that this same principle applies to our children. I think perhaps the most sorrowful thing that a person can experience in this life is the loss 
of one of their children. That's what Job and his wife experienced. Ten happy, loving children gone on the same day. And it still happens today. People who lose their children due to some tragedy in their childhood years. People who lose a child in the womb. People who lose a child shortly after birth. As two dear friends of mine did just this week. And I'd ask you to pray for them. Pray for Heath, for Jennifer, who this week had a child named Ruth born to them. And one day later, the Lord took her home. We need to hug our children tightly. But church, we also need to hold them loosely in our hands. Because ultimately, they do not belong to us. They belong to God. And he gave them to us for a time, for a season. And it is up to him whether he takes them home at 88 or at 8. How unspeakably hard it is after the tragic loss of a child to be able to utter the words that Job utters here. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But how much harder is it to say with Job what he says next? Blessed be the name of the Lord. What an example of faith Job gives us. May the Lord grant us faith like that, that we'd be able to praise the Lord no matter what happens in our life, even when we don't understand what the Lord is doing in our lives. Verse 22 says that in all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he charge God with any wrong. May the same be said of us. But sadly, at this point, Job's suffering was not yet complete because in chapter 2, we read about another conversation that takes place in heaven between Satan and the Lord. And Satan basically says, well, God, last time you didn't allow me to have access to Job's body. But if you take that restriction away, if, if you let me afflict his flesh and his bones, then you'll see. Then Job will up and curse you to your face. And so once more, the Lord grants Satan permission and Job ends up with painful boils and sores all over his body. The text says from the top of his head to the crown of his foot. And they're so painful and agonizing that Job goes outside of the city and he sits down in an ash heap, which would have been right there on top of the city dump. And you can picture him there as he takes little broken shards of pottery and he's sitting there in the trash pile and he's, he's scraping at the open sores on his body. This, this is where Job is. And at this moment, Job's wife decides to speak. And this is actually the only time that she talks in this entire book. And let's just say her cameo appearance in this story is not a particularly fine one. Look with me at chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. We're talking about different kinds of responses to suffering. We've already seen the good. And now thanks to Job's wife, it's time to see the bad. 
So again, here are the first words from Job's wife. And you might think that she would commiserate with Job or, or that she would encourage him in some way. And, and instead, she decides to lift him up by saying, are you still holding on to your faith? Essentially, she's saying, where has that gotten you? Look at yourself. Look at all that God has allowed to happen to you. Why don't you just curse God and die and get it over with? Wow, I mean, instead of viewing his integrity and his strength of his faith as something commendable like God does, she views it as something ridiculous, something to be mocked. And so if you boil it down, Mrs. Job's counsel to Job is to not hold on to his faith and to curse God to his face. Now let me ask you, who have we already talked about who said something almost exactly like that? Right? Satan. Satan is the one who is trying to accomplish that very goal, to get Job to let go of his faith, to get Job to curse God to his face, and this is what she is saying to him. And so whether she understands it or not, at this very moment, Job's wife is speaking satanic words to her husband, words that were tempting him to give up on his faith in the Lord. Now, to be fair with Job's wife, remember, she had suffered almost as much as Job had suffered. She had lost everything she owned. Her husband had gone from the leading man in the whole region to a man who had nothing and who was sitting with sores all over his body on the ash heap. She had lost all ten of her children on the same day as well, and so her suffering is immense. And I, and I don't think that she's consciously trying to fill the role of Satan here when she tempts her husband and she says this to her husband, I, I, I believe that she's just angry at God. She's, she's bitter and she's mad at God and she wants Job to be mad at God as well. And so while we understand her response, we also know that it's, it's not a good response. And Job tells us that in verse 10 and the way he responds to her. He said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. He wasn't calling her a fool. He was saying, you're speaking right now like a fool. And when the Bible speaks about being a fool in this way, it's not speaking about being silly. It's speaking about something far more serious than that. It's speaking about someone who foolishly lives and acts like there is no God. And that is how Job's wife was living and acting at this moment. And so he's warning her, and I think he's trying to call her back from continuing to walk a road of foolishness, a road away from God. And he argues with her, and he says, should we not accept from God bad if we're going to accept from God good? And Essentially, it's just another way of saying what he said back in chapter 1. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Are we going to say, God, I'll worship you as long as you keep giving me stuff, but God, if you ever start, start taking stuff, well, then it's over. He says, who are we to say that to the Lord? And if we do say that to the Lord, if that is our attitude towards the Lord, well, then Satan was right about us. And we really weren't worshiping the Lord for the Lord. We were worshiping him just for the things that he gives us. I wonder if you look back over your life and the ways that you've responded to suffering in the past and maybe... There have been times where, if you're honest, your reaction has looked more like the angry reaction of Job's wife than it has looked like the godly reaction of Job. 
And maybe in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your grief, even though it says Job did not sin with your lips, maybe you think back to times where you did sin with your lips, where you said things to others, or you said things to God that were not right, things that you didn't really mean. And, and if that's what you see as you look back, well, what, what can we do? Friend, one of the things we need to always remember about our God is that he is a God of grace and love and forgiveness. And we can come to him even now and we can say, God, I'm sorry for the things that I said, the foolish things that I said. God, would you forgive me? Would you help me to trust you? Would you help me to hold on to faith, to believe that you are good no matter what? We won't read it for the sake of time, but in verses 11 through 14, three friends of Job's travel to be with him. And for the majority of the rest of this book, we're going to read speeches that these three friends make to Job, speech after speech, where they're just literally just handing it to Job and just just piling on and just saying, Job, it's your fault. It's because of some big sin in your life is the reason why God has let this happen to you. It's like adding insult to injury. But what they do here in chapter 2 is their finest moment in this book because what they do here is for seven days they sit with Job on the trash heap and they do not say a word because his sorrow is so great. And you know, oftentimes that's actually the best thing that we can do for a friend of ours who is suffering. So often we want to try to fix it, say something that will fix it. But very often we can't fix it. And what we need to do is just to to be there and to weep with those who weep and to just be present, even if we don't have a word to say. And here, at least for these seven days, that's what these friends of Job do. And then finally in chapter 3, after thinking about his suffering for a solid week, Job breaks the silence. And this is what he says. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. After this, Job opened his mouth and he cursed the day of his birth. And Job spoke and said, May the day perish on which I was born and the night in which it was said a male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the months. Oh, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout come into it. May those curse it who curse the day, those who are ready to arouse Leviathan. May the stars of its morning be dark. May it look for light but have none and not see the dawning of the day because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb nor hide sorrow from my eyes. Verse 11, why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me or why the breast that I should nurse? For now I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves or with princes who had gold who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants who never saw the light? 
There the wicked cease from troubling. There the weary are at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of the oppressor. The small and the great are there, and the servant is free from its master. Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter of soul who longs for death but it does not come, and search for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes before I eat, and my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. We're looking at different responses to suffering. We have seen the good, we have seen the bad, and here, friends, is the ugly. Chapter 3 is a poetic section. It's the beginning of the poetry that fills most of the remainder of this book where Job and his friends try to make sense of Job's suffering and of what that means for the way that God governs this world. But in this opening speech, what Job says to his friends is shocking to his friends. And honestly, I think it's a little bit shocking to us because while Job still doesn't curse the Lord, he does adamantly curse his birthday. And he wishes that that birthday had never taken place. You know, this past week, um, I had a birthday. It was a pretty big one in my life. Uh, I turned 40 years old this last Tuesday. I know some of you are thinking, I thought you turned 40 like 10 years ago. I can't believe you just turned 40, but no, it was just this week. And, um, and I was thinking about how 10 years ago, um, 10 years ago on my 30th birthday is when Megan and I and our six-month-old Silas loaded up a U-Haul and drove back from seminary in North Carolina here to Florida to begin serving at this church. I've just been thinking and reflecting over the last 10 years and how much God has blessed, how he's added three more sons to our family in the last 10 years. How in these years, God has called me and given me the great privilege to pastor this church, my home church, Megan's home church, the church we love so much, and to see all that God has done so many blessings that he has given, blessings which in no way I, I deserve. And, and yet as I, as I look at Job here and I think about him, you know, the thought of his birthday was not feel, filling him with the same happy feelings, was it? Instead, he was wishing that that birthday didn't even happen. And in verses 3 through 10, he's, he's making the case that he wishes he had never been conceived and that he had never been born because that's preferable to the pain and the sorrow that he's going through at this moment. In verse 8, he, he's calling on, on any person who has the power to wake up Leviathan, this sea creature that's talked about later in the book of Job. And he says, I want that person who's able to wake up Leviathan. I want him to give a curse to my birthday so that it never took place. In verse 11, Job switches gears and basically says, well, if it's not possible that I can never have been born, then why didn't I die at birth? Why wasn't I stillborn? Why was I nursed? Why did I ever grow up to experience this? And you can tell in this whole section, he views death as a place of rest. He feels that if he had not been able to grow up, that he, at that moment, would be resting with the rich and with the poor, and he wouldn't be experiencing all of the trauma that life on this earth had brought him. And then in verse 20 and 23, he says, well, if none of that could happen, if, if, if I couldn't stop my birth, and if I, if I couldn't be stillborn, then God, why can't I just die right now? Again, he, he would rather that than to be alive. Now, now, to be clear, there is no hint in this passage of Job contemplating suicide. 
Job trusts in the sovereign Lord. He knows that God is sovereign over his life and over his death and that his life is not his to take. And nowhere in this book does he contemplate that, but he is just honestly voicing how he feels. And he's just honestly saying to God, God, if I could have my choice, I would rather be dead than alive right now. That's how bad his suffering was. And I think verse 23 tells us a little bit of why Job felt that way. Because earlier, Satan had talked about how God put a hedge of protection around him, a hedge of blessing around him. Well, now in verse 23, Job says, Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, doesn't understand what's happening, and whom God has hedged in? So now he uses that same language of a hedge, but for Job, when he looks around him, he doesn't see a hedge of blessing. He sees a hedge of suffering. And he feels hemmed in. In fact, he feels trapped. He feels like he's in a cage of suffering that God, in his sovereignty, will not let him get out of and will not even explain to him why it happened. And so in the last few verses, he just tells us what he's experiencing. He says, I can't eat. He says, I can't sleep. He says, I'm, I'm anxious all the time because so much suffering has happened to me and I don't know how much is lying right around the corner. This is how Job feels. And, and so he's venting these feelings to the Lord. And, and it's not pretty, is it? It's actually pretty dark. It's actually pretty ugly. But you know what? Sometimes our response to suffering can be ugly also. Sometimes that's the honest truth of what is going on in our hearts. But what I do love about Job in these opening chapters and, and really throughout the book, whether, whether what's going on in his heart is good, bad, or ugly, he takes it all to the Lord. I think that's the basic choice that every single one of us has when we go through times of suffering. Will we take our suffering to him and lay it before him? Or will we run from him? As we close this morning and the service together, I want to invite you to do exactly that. To take whatever you are going through, whatever suffering you are experiencing, and, and to bring it to God. And, and to remember that when you bring your suffering to God, you're bringing your suffering to a God who has suffered for you. That when we bring our why questions to God, we're bringing our why questions to a Savior who took that why question upon his lips when he hung on the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when you bring your suffering to God, you're bringing your wounds to a God who has a wound in his side and has nail prints in his hands because he has suffered for us. And he invites us to come and to bring to him whatever is on our hearts. And so what we're going to do for the next few minutes is going to be a little bit, a little bit different. We're just going to open up this, this altar. In fact, the whole front of this room, we're just going to open up for anyone in this place. And I believe there's many all across this room who are going through suffering. Or maybe there's someone in your life very close to you, someone you love very, very much who is going through suffering and you are suffering with them. And I'm going to invite you to just come and to lay that suffering here before the Lord and just to talk with your God about it. And, and during this time, we're going to give several minutes to this time. We're going to listen to a, a song that is based on something that Job said a little later in this book, in Job chapter 13. And this is what he said to his friend about God. He said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. 
In other words, I'm going to hang on to faith. I'm going to keep trusting. I'm going to keep praising my God no matter what. The song that we're going to listen to was written by a man named Shane Bernard. He's a part of the worship group Shane and Shane. And he says that the inspiration for this song came the night that his dad passed away. A doctor walked into the room and to their horror told Shane and his mother that their father had died. Shane said that in that moment of panic, his mother was literally hyperventilating. She could hardly stand up. And so Shane was holding his mother up. And as he was holding his mother up, he could hear her uttering under her breath the words of Job chapter 1. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Shane says he remembers that as a beautiful cry because his mother was vocalizing her deep trust in God even though she was neck deep in the tides of her pain and of her loss. And it was after that that he sat down and wrote the words of this song that we're about to hear. And so as we listen to this song, I want to invite you to come Again, and kneel all across the front of this room. Bring whatever suffering is in your life, whatever suffering is in the life of someone that you love, and and come to God. Whether what you have to say to God right now is good or bad or ugly, just bring it to God. He already knows what's in our heart. And let the God who loves you begin to work in the places of your heart that only he can get to. Come and say with Job, whatever comes, Though he slay me, even still will I praise him.